Hello and welcome to Legal Thinking with myself, Ed Wooten. And me, Liam Pear. This week we are talking about... Well, this week uh, is actually the second part of the uh, Intellectual Property Podcasts. Uh, ah. that, um, we did the first one a few months ago when you were aware it was a great episode I'd recommend people go back and listen to that actually before they listen to this one not so just because I wasn't there and not just because you weren't there it was a, it was a great episode yeah. um, so in the first one we covered uh, registered designs uh, and, and kind of the basics around intellectual property and this podcast is kind of a second part to that uh, where we talk about what can be copyrighted uh, do you need to register something to be copyrighted uh, do things like fair use exist in the UK uh, and we talk about unregistered design rights and just like the first episodes we are joined by Charlie Ebbett and Stephen Welfare who are who are IP lawyers at RWK Goodman yes uh, I have you know as as a presenter on the show um, I've pre-listened to this this interview and it's very interesting it um, throws up a lot of things that you know uh, the, the particular quirks of English law um, that, um, you know, always very interesting. So wor- definitely worth a listen if you're interested in uh, intellectual property and copyright. And unlike the last episode we did on um, intellectual property, all of the questions for this one came from uh, Ed and myself rather than from a, from a listener who wrote in. What? <laughs> but we do take listener questions. So let, let, you know, <laughs> if, if there's a listener out there... Hello, and we will take your questions. <laughs> let's roll tape. Let's. Let's. So, let's start off with a bit of a recap of what we covered in the uh, first podcast that we did a few months ago about intellectual property and intellectual property rights. Charlie, if you want to give us a little bit of a recap and uh, remind us what a registered design is. Yeah, so um, we spoke about this uh, last time, but just to sort of recap for everyone, a registered design um, can protect uh, three-dimensional and some two-dimensional designs, um, and it includes sort of um, surface decoration and and aesthetic types of of design, Um, and it it gives a a 25-year monopoly right uh, to, to use that design. Lovely stuff. And for more information about registered design, uh, you can go back in our catalogue of episodes and find the episodes about that. We'll also make sure that that is linked in the show notes. So moving on to new territory, unregistered design rights. Stephen, do you want to briefly explain what they are? Yeah, so uh, unregistered design rights are the rights that exist in industrial designs where the registration where, where the design has hasn't hasn't been uh, registered so uh, it arises by operation of law where uh, an object or, 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 or a design is, is created so the moment that it comes into being um, the design right automatically arises. Uh, and we'll talk about copyright in a minute, and you'll see the similarities there. But the restriction with design right is that it subsists in the novel, so novel being new, original, uh, features of uh, shape and configuration, uh, and it doesn't include doesn't include surface decoration. Okay, so we're talking in pretty kind of vague terms at the moment. Can you give us an example of an unregistered design right or what it could be? Do you have any case studies, perhaps? Yeah, sure. Uh, a case that uh, I had uh, come up of uh, and uh, eventually ended up in the Court of Appeal on appeal uh, was to do 
with uh, trolley cases. So what was in dispute there was whether the combination of plastic piping or rubber uh, rubber piping uh, and zipper uh, was new. Um, and you see this uh, in expandable um, trolley cases, in particular the polycarbonate ones. And it was said by our opponent that the particular arrangement of zipper and piper was uh, original, that it was a new design and that uh, my client had copied and, and uh, the, the argument we ran was that no, this wasn't a matter of design, it wasn't a new matter of design, but in fact was necessary uh, as, 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 a, as a part of the construction. And uh, as Charlie will uh, perhaps confirm later, the, the, there are certain exclusions uh, to unmeasured design right, uh, and methods and principles of construction are being one. So is the, is, is the shape and configuration of, of, that, of that element of the design entirely new uh, and, and, and the result of, of design? Or, or is it, or is is it dictated that way um, by by its by its uh, method uh, of operation and or construction? Um, and and the, the, as I said, the case ended up in in the court of appeal, and and the court of appeal in that case held that the arrangement of a piping and zipper uh, was new; that it was possible uh, to create trolley cases. Um, having a different configuration um, and therefore the particular arrangement that was found uh, in the claimant's trolley case uh, was new and therefore unmeasured design rights subsisted in that design. Interesting. So is a design right the same as copyright? Charlie, do you want to maybe pick this one up? Um, yeah, I can do that. I was just going to go back to, to what, what Stephen was, was saying there about uh, uh, unregistered designs and, and, and perhaps an easy way for people to understand the difference between um, an unregistered design and um, a registered design at the very highest level <laughs> um, is that unregistered designs really only apply to sort of purely functional products. So like Stephen was talking about there, essentially a suitcase or a trolley case or, or other functional products like that um, would generally be um, protected under as, as unregistered designs so long as they met the, the relevant requirements. Um, whereas what we might consider to be more design-led products that perhaps have decoration or, or other ornamental features um, are more likely to be registered, um, protected as registered designs. Um, so that was just a point on that. And then as Stephen was saying, there are various exceptions um, to um, protection as an unregistered design. Um, and as he was saying, um, that includes if the design is a common place design, then then you wouldn't be able to, to claim unregistered design right. Um, or if it contains um, what's known as must fit or must match features, um, i.e. it has to be made in a certain way in order to carry out its function, um, then, then it wouldn't qualify for protection. Got it. So, Charlie, is a design right the same as copyright? 
No, Liam, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There is quite a lot of overlap and um, I'm sure uh, Stephen will be able to talk in in more detail about the the various different aspects of copyright, Um, but but it's not the same, um, albeit there may well be some... um, products um, or some designs that may well be able to uh, uh, claim protection um, under both uh, types of rights for various different features um, of the relevant product or the design. Okay, Stephen, we'll come over to you. Uh, Can you explain the differences and essentially what is copyright? Yeah, sure. I'll give it a go. The, the, the best way perhaps to deal with it is to identify the different nature of copyright itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I think uh, Charlie summarised the position on unregistered design rights. So, 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 so that's that. But, but, but what is copyright and what, what are the different nature uh, of copyright? And uh, you'll find that in the Copyright Designs and Patents Act 1988. And what the Act does is it sets out uh, in the opening sections, three to eight, I think, uh, what what the different uh, uh, copyrights are, uh, and they are literary works, um, which hopefully is self-explanatory, uh, uh, dramatic works, uh, musical works, artistic works, uh, and then sound recordings, films, and broadcasts, and so forth. So, uh, literary works, well, obviously novels, um, you know, writings uh, would be covered by by that. Uh, dramatic works, again, uh, perhaps fairly obvious, you know, plays, films, uh, and and the like. Uh, musical works, well, uh, anything anything musical um, is again self-explanatory. The one that perhaps isn't, and, uh, and maybe causes. Uh, most, or certainly a lot of confusion and uncertainty, are artistic works. Um, and where we find um, artistic works uh, most uh, commonly uh, claimed um, is in respect of uh, works of uh, artistic craftsmanship. Um, and so there, uh, the design has to have an element of, of artistry in it, although um, the bar is quite low um, because what is a work of art to what, what one man uh, is, is not necessarily a work of art uh, to another, uh, and it can be subjective. So, so the aesthetic, there must have an aesthetic quality to it. Um, um, and also, and this is, the, this is perhaps a more crucial point, it must have uh, uh, been uh, created uh, made uh, by a, a skilled craftsman. Um, and uh, a, a case which perhaps demonstrates uh, this is a case, again, uh, one of mine, forgive me, a um, case that uh, I handled way back in uh, t- 2001, showing my age, of, of a cotton productions and bond press. And in that, my client uh, was a claimant in that case uh, and uh, had made. Uh, was the creator and manufacturer uh, of patchwork bedspreads and, and cushion covers, and uh, we claimed a copyright in it and, and, and alleged that the defendant had had copied our product, which they clearly had. Uh, but the issue was, well, that's all right. But uh, what rights did we have in it, and, and could we claim uh, copyright? 
And uh, the court, I'm pleased to report, uh, um, the High Court uh, held that uh, copyright may subsist in, in those patterns or drawings, um, even if not necessarily uh, in the products from, uh, from which uh, they, were then, they were then made, provided um, that there was sufficient distinctiveness in the appearance, which there was, and therefore uh, the work qualified as a, a work of artistic craftsmanship um, because um, it was made um, by a, a qualified and skilled seamstress. So there you have an example of an item which had an artistic element to it and uh, was created by a skilled craftsperson and then reproduced um, um, and, and sold uh, in, in its material form uh, and therefore uh, copyright did subsist as a matter of law and when it was copied that amounted to uh, an infringement of that copyright. So copyright seems to be strongly linked to artistic craftsmanship. I just want to see how far this kind of extends. Could you copyright a dance, for example? Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because it, it, it's, that's a, a common um, misconception that, that something is copyrightable. Uh -huh. um, uh, and, well, well, that's all right. Uh, it was, it's a common mistake. Um, and it suggests isn't it, that you've got something and then you go away and copyright it, mm. um, which to my ears implies some sort of registration. Uh, Copyright is not vegetable, at least not in not in our country. It, it isn't. So uh, again, like unregistered design right, it arises automatically by operation of law when when something within which copyright subsists is created. So you don't copyright it. it copyright subsists in it uh, the moment it is created. Uh, if 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 all the legal requirements are met, which probably doesn't help, but, but, but that's the law. So, how do things like fair use exist in the UK? Well, we don't really have that, uh, 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 and that's uh, something I think that you find uh, more in in, in in the states uh, and other jurisdictions, but but but, but not here. Uh, if copyright subsists in an item, an article, a work, and and, and the, the act talks about works. Um, whether whether it's uh, something you, you, you you've written down, whether it's something you've performed, or, or it's an item that you've that you've made, um, collectively they are all works, and, and copyright subsists uh, in, in that work, and you would require the license, permission, or consent of the copyright owner uh, in order to to use or reproduce it. If you do not have that permission, that license, um, then that's then that's a breach. There are some uh, very restricted exceptions, um, which one might say are analogous uh, to fair use, and that is where, um, in certain circumstances, the act. Uh, by the third party does not amount to an actionable infringement because it is it is a permitted exception. Um, and an example of that 
would be honest and concurrent use for private study, for example, um, so for educational uh, purposes. Uh, another one might be, uh, for example, for purposes of critique, um, for accurate uh, reporting, um, where one might mention uh, or, or reproduce um, an extract uh, of the work uh, for those purposes. Um, yeah, the, 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 those are examples of, of permitted exceptions. Okay. Having talked about and identified uh, what copyright is and where and how it might subsist uh, in various works, the next issue is how long does it last? Um, and that's an important point because uh, it is um, it does enjoy a very long life, certainly uh, compared to the fairly limited uh, periods of, of protection you see with pattern, which we talked about in the previous podcast of 20 years, and as uh, Charlotte has mentioned there, um, 25 years for registered designs if, if, if renewed, um, and only 10 years from the date of manufacture, or I should say from the first day of um, uh, of marketing of uh, an item in design right. Copyright lasts for the life of the creator plus a further 70 years. Um, previously, uh, that had been restricted to 25 years in, in respect to works of artistic craftsmanship, which had been uh, 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 marketed uh, and manufactured and sold. But uh, that's been removed, and so universally uh, now, Copyright in uh, lasts for the life of the creator plus 70 years, which is a long time. Um, and it can cause problems. Uh, people assume that um, oh, it's, very old, it's very old, it's been around for a long time, uh, I'm free to use it. Um, but that uh, may not be the case uh, for the reasons I just said. Uh, and an obvious example of, of where uh, we see a lot of this is on the internet. And on the internet, you will see uh, any number of, in particular, images, um, other drawings and, and, uh, and works. But let's let's focus on, on on photographs and images, which you which you'll see on the internet, and, and they may have been there for for some time and, and and well known. And so people think, well, that's fine. Uh, I can I can use that. It must be open source. It's freely available. Uh, I'll I'll download that and use it uh, for whatever whatever their whatever their purposes are, um, and then um, down the line, several months uh, later, maybe maybe uh, years later, um, they get uh, a cease and desist letter uh, from lawyers or trademark attorneys um, accusing um, the user of. Uh, copyright infringement and demanding and demanding damages, uh, which can be a bit of a shock. I think, Charlie, you've had a recent one like that. Yeah, so it, it, it's a really common misconception that uh, people have that you know they think they can just use an image um, because it's on on the internet, um, put it on their own website, or use it for their own marketing material. And as Stephen has said. Uh, that's not the case, and um, 
you know, with, with the rise of the internet and technology, um, there's, you know, a growing number of uh, companies out there that essentially troll the internet for uh, images that belong to their clients and their clients are the ones that own the copyright in those images. Um, and what you'll find if, if you have taken a, an image um, and put it on your website and, and you don't either own the copyright in that image or you don't have a, a valid license uh, to, to use that image, that, that you may well receive a letter, as Stephen has said, um, asking you to pay um, what they have essentially calculated as what the license fee would have been um, for your use of of that image. Um, some of those figures are <laughs> more realistic and reasonable than others. Um, and, and sometimes that, that fee is hugely inflated. Um, and, you know, it's never pleasant to uh, receive that, that type of letter or demand. Um, so we would you know, really strongly advise people not to um, take images from, from the internet, um, always use um, uh, you know, a, a, repu a reputable um, source for, for those types of images and, and purchase the relevant license depending on, on how you're planning to use it. So how high can damages be? The amounts demanded um, can be quite high. Uh, Charlie's absolutely right um, that it should be restricted to what would be a, a reasonable and fair uh, license um, had, had the user of the image uh, sought permission in, in, at the outset uh, and then, and then uh, they are obliged to retrospectively pay uh, that license fee uh, and, and, and meet the costs uh, of, the, of the rights holder. But where um, the where the use is uh, flagrant, where there has been a flagrant breach of copyright, so the infringer knew or had very good reason to believe to know that uh, the work uh, was covered by copyright, and yet notwithstanding that, um, they took perhaps a wholesale sweep. Um, of, of images um, or, you know, made very wide-scale use of those uh, images and now, as I said, that it was, in, that it was subject to somebody else's copyright with no intention uh, of, of paying for a licence, then uh, in those circumstances, the court can um, or, or award what we call additional damages. Uh, and uh, following uh, a case a few years ago of artisan loss, I think it was, um, the court can multiply um, four or five fold the level of damages. So if the license fee might have been a thousand pounds, then that can be multiplied by four hundred percent in the, in in, the, in respect of uh, flavoured breaches. So it can be quite expensive. So to ram home the point um, that it is before um, taking any. Uh, imagery from the website do make necessary inquiries uh, and checks to see uh, if it's subject to copyright and if so ensure that you have either the permission of the uh, rights holder or you fall into one of the uh, categories of exceptions uh, i.e. Uh, you know educational use and so forth. 
And I think just to add on that and and flipping it round to look at it from the perspective of the rights holders themselves, um, that's why it's really important to clearly um, signal on your work that it it is subject to copyright. So, you know, whether that's um, putting a notice on it, you often see the the little C in the circle um, or putting a watermark on your images or any other form of notification so that you're putting others on notice that, that the work is protected and therefore you stand a better chance um, of, of proving that your work has been infringed. Yes, that's absolutely right. Uh, and not, not, not only uh, is that clearly sensible uh, in order uh, to uh, protect uh, your, your rights, um, but necessary in terms of, of infringement because um, it's worth bearing in mind that uh, copyright means what it says on the tin, uh, that it's a right not to be copied. You know, the, 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 the creator, the owner of the copyright has the exclusive right uh, to copy their work. And if anybody else wants to copy their work, well, then they need that license permission. But note that uh, there's a thing called uh, innocent infringement. So um, you are only liable uh, for copyright infringement from the moment when you knew or you had good reason to believe so uh, willfully uh, sticking your head in the sand uh, won't help you. But otherwise, um, in an ordinary course of things, you would only be liable uh, for copyright infringement from the date that you're fixed with knowledge or deemed to be fixed with knowledge that the work is subject to copyright. So the rights holders should, as Charlie quite rightly said, um, on, on a practical level, um, use watermarks and so forth. Otherwise, howsoever, mark your work as a copyright work, ideally with a date, but most importantly, stating that it's subject to copyright, uh, and then you're, you're uh, ticking the box of fixing your opponent uh, with knowledge. Charlie and Stephen, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for listening to Legal Thinking and thank you to our guests um, for joining us on today's podcast. Uh, If you want to find out more about the topic that was discussed today, make sure to have a look in the show notes where we will have linked everything up. And you can find all of the back episodes of Legal Thinking in your podcast provider of choice and you can also subscribe and follow us on there too. And as always, make sure you leave us a five-star review on your podcast provider of choice as that helps other people find us. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.